Section 71 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 48. Louis XIV, Literature and Art, Part 6. Racine had just brought out Alexandre when he became connected with Boileau, who was three years his senior, and who had already published several of his satires. Quote, I have a surprising facility in writing my verses, said the young tragic author ingenuously. Quote, I want to teach you to write them with difficulty, answered Boileau, and you have talent enough to learn before long. Andromaque was the result of this novel effort, and was Racine's real commencement. He was henceforth irrevocably committed to the theatrical cause. Nicole attacking Desmarais, who had turned prophet after the failure of his Clovis, alluded to the author's comedies, and exclaimed with all the severity of Port Royal, quote, A romance writer and a scenic poet is a public poisoner not of bodies, but of souls. Racine took these words to himself, and he wrote in defence of the dramatic art two letters so bitter, biting and insulting towards Port Royal and the protectors of his youth, that Boileau dissuaded him from publishing the second, and that remorse before long took possession of his soul, never to be entirely appeased. He had just brought out Les Plaideurs, which had been requested of him by his friends and partly composed during the dinners they frequently had together. Quote, I put into it only a few barbarous law terms which I might have picked up during a lawsuit, and which neither I nor my judges ever really heard or understood. End quote. After the first failure of the piece, the king's comedians one day risked playing it before him. Quote, Louis XIV was struck by it, and did not think it a breach of his dignity or taste to utter shouts of laughter so loud that the courtiers were astounded. The delighted comedians, on leaving Versailles, returned straight to Paris, and went to awaken Racine. Quote, Three carriages during the night in a street where it was unusual to see a single one during the day woke up the neighborhood. There was a rush to the windows, and as it was known that a councillor of requests, or law officer, had made a great uproar against the comedy of Le Plaideur, nobody had a doubt of punishment befalling the poet who had dared to take off the judges in the open theatre. Next day all Paris believed that he was in prison. He had a triumph, on the contrary, with Britannicus, after which the king gave up dancing in the court ballets for fear of resembling Nero. Berenice was a duel between Corneille and Racine for the amusement of Madame Henriette. Racine bore away the bell from his illustrious rival, without much glory. Bajazet soon followed. Quote, Here is Racine's piece, wrote Madame de Sévigny to her daughter in January 1672. If I could send you La Chamelle, you would think it good, but without her it loses half its worth. The character of Bajazet is cold as ice. The manners of the Turks are ill-observed in it. They do not make so much fuss about getting married. The catastrophe is not well led up to. There are no reasons given for that great butchery. There are some pretty things, however, but nothing perfectly beautiful, nothing which carries by storm, none of those bursts of Corneille's which make one creep. My dear, let us be careful never to compare Racine with him. Let us always feel the difference. Never will the former rise any higher than Andromaque. Long live our old friend Corneille. Let us forgive his bad verses for the sake of those divine and sublime beauties which transport us. They are master strokes which are inimitable. Corneille had seen Bajazet. Quote, I would take great care not to say so to anybody else, he whispered in the ear of Sagret, who was sitting beside him, because they would say that I said so from jealousy, but mind you, there is not in Bajazet a single character with the sentiments which should and do prevail at Constantinople. They have all, beneath a Turkish dress, the sentiments that prevail in the midst of France. The impassioned loyalty of Madame de Sévigny and the clear-sighted jealousy of Corneille were not mistaken. Bajazet is no Turk, but he is none the less very human. 
Quote, there are points by which men recognize themselves, though there is no resemblance. There are others in which there is resemblance without any recognition. Certain sentiments belong to nature in all countries. They are characteristic of man only, and everywhere man will see his own image in them. End quote. Corneille et son temps by M. Guizot. Racine's reputation went on continually increasing. He had brought out Mithridati and Iphigenie. Phaedra appeared in 1677. A cabal of great lords caused its failure at first. When the public, for a moment led astray after the Phaedre of Pradon, returned to the masterwork of Racine, vexation and wounded pride had done their office in the poet's soul. Pious sentiments ever smouldering in his heart, the horror felt for the theatre by Port Royal, and penitence for the sins he had been guilty of against his friends there, revived within him, and Racine gave up profane poetry forever. Quote, the applause I have met with has often flattered me a great deal, said he at a later period to his son, but the smallest critical censure, bad as it may have been, always caused me more of vexation than all the praises have given me of pleasure. Racine wanted to turn Carthusian, his confessor dissuaded him, and his friends induced him to marry. Madame Racine was an excellent person, modest and devout, who never went to the theatre, and scarcely knew her husband's plays by name. She brought him some fortune. The king had given the great poet a pension, and Colbert had appointed him to the treasury, or trésorier, at Moulins. Louis the Fourteenth, moreover, granted frequent donations to men of letters. Racine received from him nearly fifty thousand livres. He was appointed historiographer to the king. Boileau received the same title. The latter was not married, but Racine before long had seven children. Quote, Why did not I turn Carthusian? he would sometimes exclaim in the disquietude of his paternal affection when his children were ill. He devoted his life to them with pious solicitude, constantly occupied with their welfare, their good education, and the salvation of their souls. Several of his daughters became nuns. He feared above everything to see his eldest son devote himself to poetry, dreading for him the dangers he considered he himself had run. Quote, As for your epigram, I wish you had not written it, he wrote to him. Independently of its being commonplace, I cannot too earnestly recommend you not to let yourself give way to the temptation of writing French verses which would serve no purpose but to distract your mind. Above all, you should not write against anybody. This son, the object of so much care, to whom his father wrote such modest, grave, paternal, and sagacious letters, never wrote verses, lived in retirement, and died young without ever having married. Little Louis, or Léon Val, Racine's last child, was the only one who ever dreamed of being a writer. Quote, you must be very bold, said Boileau to him, to dare write verses with the name you bear. It is not that I consider it impossible for you to become capable some day of writing good ones, but I mistrust what is without precedent, and never, since the world was world, has there been seen a great poet's son of a great poet. Louis Racine never was a great poet, in spite of the fine verses which are to be met with in his poems La Religion and La Grâce. His memoirs of his father, written for his son, describe Racine in all the simple charm of his domestic life. Quote, he would leave all to come and see us, writes Louis Racine. An equerry of the Duke's came one day to say that he was expected to dinner at Condé's house. I shall not have the honour of going, said he. It is more than a week since I have seen my wife and children, who are making holiday to-day to feast with me on a very fine carp. I cannot give up dining with them. And when the equerry persisted, he sent for the carp, which was worth about a crown. Judge for yourself, said he, whether I can disappoint these poor children who have made up their minds to regale me, and would not enjoy it if they were to eat this dish without me. He was loving by nature, adds Louis Racine, he was loving towards God when he returned to him, and from the day of his return to those who, from his infancy, had taught him to know him, he was so towards them without any reserve. He was so all his life towards his friends, towards his wife, and towards his children. Boileau had undertaken the task of reconciling his friend with Port Royal. 
Nicole had made no opposition, quote, not knowing what war was, end quote. Monsieur Arnaud was intractable. Boileau one day made up his mind to take him a copy of Phèdre, pondering on the way as to what he should say to him. Quote, shall this man, said he, be always right, and shall I never be able to prove him wrong? I am quite sure that I shall be right to-day. If he is not of my opinion, he will be wrong. End quote. And going to M. Arnaud's, where he found a large company, he set about developing his thesis, pulling out Phèdre, and maintaining that if tragedy were dangerous, it was the fault of the poets. The younger theologians listened to him disdainfully, but at last M. Arnaud said out loud, quote, If things are as he says, he is right, and such tragedy is harmless. End quote. Boileau declared that he had never felt so pleased in his life. M. Arnaud being reconciled to Phèdre, the principal step was made. Next day the author of the tragedy presented himself. The culprit entered, humility and confusion depicted on his face. He threw himself at the feet of M. Arnaud, who took him in his arms. Racine was thenceforth received into favour by Port Royal. The two friends were preparing to set out with the king for the campaign of 1677. The besieged towns opened their gates before the poets had left Paris. Quote, how is it that you had not the curiosity to see a siege? The king asked them on his return. It was not a long trip. Quote, True, sir, answered Racine, always the greater courtier of the two, but our tailors were too slow. We had ordered travelling suits, and when they were brought home, the places which your majesty was besieging were taken. End quote. Louis the Fourteenth was not displeased. Racine thenceforth accompanied him in all his campaigns. Boileau, who ailed a great deal, and was of shy disposition, remained at Paris. His friend wrote to him constantly, at one time from the camp, and at another from Versailles, whither he returned with the king. Quote, Madame de Maintenon told me this morning, writes Racine, that the king had fixed our pensions at four thousand francs for me, and two thousand for you. That is not including our literary pensions. I have just come from thanking the king. I laid more stress upon your case than even my own. I said in as many words, Sir, he has more wit than ever, more zeal for your majesty, and more desire to work for your glory than ever he had. I am nevertheless really pained at the idea of my getting more than you, but independently of the expenses and fatigue of the journeys from which I am glad that you are delivered, I know that you are so noble-minded and so friendly that I am sure you would be heartily glad that I were even better treated. I shall be very pleased if you are." Boileau answered at once, quote, "'Are you mad with your compliments? Do not you know perfectly well that it was I who suggested the way in which things have been done? And can you doubt of my being perfectly well pleased with a matter in which I am accorded all I ask?' nothing in the world could be better, and I am even more rejoiced on your account than on my own. The two friends consulted one another mutually about their verses. Racine sent Boileau his spiritual songs. The king heard the Combat du Chrétien sung, set to music by Moreau. Quote, o God, my God, what deadly strife! Two men within myself I see. One would that, full of love to thee, my heart were leal in death and life. The other, with rebellion rife, against thy laws inciteth me. End quote. He turned to Madame de Maintenon, and, quote, Madame, said he, I know those two men well, end quote. Boileau sends Racine his ode on the capture of Namur, quote, I have risked some very new things, he says, even to speaking of the white plume which the king has in his hat, but, in my opinion, if you are to have novel expressions in verse, you must speak of things which have not been said in verse. You shall be judged with permission to alter the whole if you do not like it, end quote. Boileau's generous confidence was the more touching, in that Racine was sarcastic and bitter in discussion. Quote, Did you mean to hurt me? Boileau said to him one day. Quote, God forbid, was the answer. Quote, well, then, you made a mistake, for you did hurt me. End quote. Racine had just brought out Esther at the theatre of Saint-Cyr. Madame de Brinon, lady superior of the establishment which was founded by Madame de Maintenon for the daughters of poor noblemen, 
had given her pupils a taste for theatricals. Quote, Our little girls have just been playing your Andromaque, wrote Madame de Maintenon to Racine, and they played it so well that they never shall play it again in their lives or any other of your pieces. End quote. She at the same time asked him to write, in his leisure hours, some sort of moral and historical poem from which love should be altogether banished. This letter threw Racine into a great state of commotion. He was anxious to please Madame de Maintenon, and yet it was a delicate commission for a man who had a great reputation to sustain. Boileau was for refusing. Quote, that was not in the calculations of Racine, says Madame de Caylus in her souvenir. He wrote Esther. Quote, Madame de Maintenon was charmed with the conception of the execution, says Madame de Lafayette. The play represented in some sort the fall of Madame de Montespan and her own elevation. All the difference was that Esther was a little younger, and less particular in the matter of piety. The way in which the characters were applied was the reason why Madame de Maintenon was not sorry to make public a piece which had been composed for the community only, and for some of her private friends. There was exhibited a degree of excitement about it which is incomprehensible. Not one of the small or the great but would go to see it, and that which ought to have been looked upon as merely a convent play became the most serious matter in the world. The ministers, to pay their court by going to this play, left their most pressing business. At the first representation at which the king was present, he took none but the principal officers of his hunt. The second was reserved for pious personages, such as Father Lachaise, and a dozen or fifteen Jesuits, with many other devotees of both sexes. Afterwards it extended to the courtiers. Quote, I paid my court at Saint-Cyr the other day more agreeably than I had expected, writes Madame de Sévigny to her daughter. Listened, Marshal Belfond and I, with an attention that was remarked, and with certain discreet commendations which were not perhaps to be found beneath the headdresses of all the ladies present. I cannot tell you how exceedingly delightful this piece is. It is a unison of music, verse, songs, persons, so perfect that there is nothing left to desire. The girls who act the kings and other characters were made expressly for it. Everything is simple, everything innocent, everything sublime and affecting. I was charmed, and so was the marshal, who left his place to go and tell the king how pleased he was, and that he sat beside a lady well worthy of having seen us there. The king came over to our seats. Madame, he said to me, I am assured that you have been pleased. I, without any confusion, replied, Sir, I am charmed. What I feel is beyond expression. The king said to me, Racine is very clever. I said to him, Very, sir, but really these young people are very clever, too. They throw themselves into the subject as if they had never done aught else. Ah, as to that, he replied, it is quite true. And then his majesty went away and left me the object of envy. The prince and princess came and gave me a word, Madame de Maintenon a glance. She went away with the king. I replied to all, for I was in luck. Athalie had not the same brilliant success as Esther. The devotee and the envious had affrighted Madame de Maintenon, who had requested Racine to write it. The young ladies of Saint-Cyr, in the uniform of the house, played the piece quite simply at Versailles before Louis the Fourteenth and Madame de Maintenon, in a room without a stage. When the players gave a representation of it at Paris, it was considered heavy. It did not succeed. Racine imagined that he was doomed to another failure like that of Phèdre, which he preferred before all his other pieces. Quote, I am a pretty good judge, Boileau kept repeating to him. It is about the best you have done. The public will come round to it. Racine died before success was achieved by the only perfect piece which the French stage possesses, worthy both of the subject and of the sources whence Racine drew his inspiration. He had, with an excess of scrupulousness, abandoned the display of all the fire that burned within him but beauty never ceased to rouse him to irresistible enthusiasm. Whilst reading the Psalms to M. de Seignelay, when lying ill, he could not refrain from paraphrasing them aloud. He admired Sophocles so much that he never dared touch the subjects of his tragedies. 
Quote, One day, says M. de Valicourt, when he was at Auteuil, at Boileau's, with M. Nicole and some distinguished friends, he took up a Sophocles in Greek, and read the tragedy of Oedipus, translating it as he went. He read so feelingly that all his auditors experienced the sensations of terror and pity with which this piece abounds. I have seen our best pieces played by our best actors, but nothing ever came near the commotion into which I was thrown by this reading, and at this moment of writing I fancy I still see Racine, book in hand, and all of us awe-stricken around him." Thus it was that, whilst repeating but a short time before the verses of Mithridate as he was walking in the Tuileries, he had seen the workmen leaving their work and coming up to him, convinced as they were that he was mad, and was going to throw himself into the basin. End of section 71